I just woke up. Don't tell me it's time already. Another episode? Welcome back to your 12th favorite podcast, Reeducated, where we reimagine, rethink, and reinvent education. It's your host, Gautam Yegapin, alive and blessed to present today's conversation. Stay thirsty for knowledge, and I guess water too. Welcome back. I hope y'all are having another phenomenal week. I am really excited to share this week's conversation with myself. It is another one of those episodes. It's the third one where there is no guest. It is just you and your host. And so this week I want to be talking about Eastern philosophy and its introduction into Western education. I had a very transformative experience in the last 10 days. Um, and so I wanted to share. So something that's been going on in my mind is, you know, living in the States, I come across a lot of things that were talked about or introduced in my household at a really young age. So things such as meditation, yoga, my family doesn't practice any of these things, but some of these concepts were, you know, always just talked about in the house. And as I get older, I see more and more of these centers and things like that opening up and and I see a lot of other resources on the internet so I see oh beach yoga how to craft your perfect body for the summer so you can attract who you you want oh there is meditation in 10 minutes a day to turn your life into that of a CEO and make the next million dollars and then they'll talk about how like these fortune 500 CEOs started doing meditation and this and that and it always just intrigued me I was like it seems that these things have just become tools that are then used to accomplish some sort of external goal. And I, you know, I had this moment in, um, so as a child and, and I started again as uh, an undergrad going to classical South Southern Indian music. It's called the Carnatic music. And I had a few really powerful lessons come out of that. And I wanted to share this one primarily. So when I started singing, my teacher would always ask me, why are you doing this? So previously to all the other teachers that I'd gone, they had always prioritized, you need to sing in concerts, you need to sing in performances, performances, whenever I'd perform in front of family, friends or family, they'd applaud me, I'd feel really good. I'm like, wow, I'm doing something great. And so he'd ask me, why are you singing? And it took me a long time to really like come up with the answer and, and, and to face myself and be like, primarily it is for my ego, right? It is to appease my family like oh look he's still part of his culture oh you know when family sings oh he's a good singer he's such a great kid like what you know it's, it was all for the ego and the more and more I learned from this teacher he's this amazing phenomenal human being I realized none of that stuff really matters it none of those things are motivating enough to go through the suffering of having to wake up early and practicing every day and then, you know, taking care of your voice and all of the things that you have to do, those small ego boosts are never worth it. And so I had to dig deeper and deeper and deeper and find that the only reason you can really sing is really for yourself. It has to be a spiritual journey within yourself in which you enjoy it. Because the disciplined practice of anything is painful. It's not going to be enjoyable at all. And so this idea that, oh, you should meditate to go get this job, you should do yoga to get this body, is still for the ego. And I think a lot of these Eastern spiritual practices are built on actually dissolving the ego itself. It's not built to uplift it. 
And so I had this experience. So the experience I'm really excited to share this week is these last 10 days, I found a Buddhist monastery in France, and I attended a 10-day silent meditation retreat. I wish I could do justice in really laying out the, the oh my God, I, I wish I could just lay out what I was able to see. So we're in the middle of the woods. You can't really get to this place. We had to take a shuttle from Paris. Uh, it took three hours. We went to South and we, we went up a mountain. We went to this wood. And we're basically surrounded by forests. And they've created this small little clearing for some of these like huts and buildings in which we either meditate or sleep in. And that's all we do. And so we wake up at four every morning. And then we alternate between group meditations and alone meditations in your room. And you have three meals. One, uh, you have breakfast and uh, lunch and then you have like fruits for dinner and uh you have one hour for those and you have a one hour rest period and apart from that you're meditating or walking and it's completely silent and you don't really look at anyone you don't have phone you don't have access to the internet you have you they, you give all of that stuff to them you don't have writing any writing utensils so the only thing you really had was the few meals water in your own mind and wow i had no idea how expansive the mind is, how much exploration can be done in just there. And so, you know, the first day I get there, I don't really know what I'm signing up for, right? And you're supposed to sit crisscross applesauce for hours on end. And, and, you know, as you can imagine, it was extremely painful. So I'm moving left and right. I'm moving my posture all the time. And it was really difficult. And so were a lot of the other first-time students there. But slowly and slowly, you start to figure it out. So here's the question. Is something like this worth doing so I can be more productive at work? No. And this is why. Through the experience, and, and I, I don't want to really share my experience in depth just because I think it's one of those things that I would never want to bias the experience of another person. I think the spiritual journey that we all go through and even understanding our own minds is, is completely different. And so I'll give a brief description of, I think, what the main point was. So you're sitting there. And your legs are dying, right? You have physical pain all, all over your knees, your back. But you tell yourself, you're not supposed to move. So you tell yourself, you, we'll get to that. So you tell yourself, I'm not going to move. And so you're sitting there, you're like, I'm not going to move. And what happens? You don't move after, you know, after you build that tolerance up, you just don't move. So then you realize, oh, that physical body that's telling my brain, oh, there's pain here, there's pain here is actually not in control. Okay, then what is? Then your mind starts screaming. Your mind is like, Galvin, you need to scratch this place. You need to stretch your toes. You need to move your leg just a tiny bit. Why are you doing this? You're bored. Get up. You know, your mind's screaming at you. And you're like, mind, I'm not going to do any of those things. And you sit. So it's not your body telling you what to do. It's not your mind telling you what to do. So then what is? What is that fundamental you that's telling you what to do? And as you start going on this exploration a little deeper and deeper and deeper, and, and I think a lot, I know for a fact, most of the people there got to stages a lot deeper of that that uh, that road than I did. I think I was coming from a place where I've always had an extremely busy mind and, and this whole time I've been traveling and so, so much stimulation every single day to switch into just zero. I think, I think it took me a while to, to even get into that zone, but it really started to make you think, who am I? And so these practices are not to actually uplift and boost the ego. It is to dissolve the ego itself. And so when a lot of these Eastern practices have been adopted in the West, it has lost this fundamental trait. 
So why do you why do people practice yoga to uplift their ego? Well, that's my computer making noises, right? It's to uplift the ego. It's to show other people, hey, look, I do yoga. I'm like, I have such a great body. It's 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 oh, I feel so. I'm so proud of myself because I did it. It's all about me, 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 and, and not about the deeper spiritual practices. But that is but that is not to say that it is a prob a problem to have. You know, yoga can be called in America, in the states, or in the Western world, like advanced stretching. Like, there's no problem with doing that, right? It's like really useful. But I think it is a we are missing the essence and the core and the purity of these practices, which are so much deeper than you know. We like make jokes about Kama Sutra and so on. And so it's like these are really, really powerful practices that need proper exploration. And so I am excited to, in the future, also, you know, this was my first introduction to meditation. I feel like it wasn't a guided meditation. It was si like I, I really learned a little bit. You know, this is a 10-day course. I didn't reach the state of, you know, the Buddha or something. But, you know, at least I learned properly from experts and masters of the field what it even means to meditate. So not from a guided meditation, not from, you know, just listening to wave sounds or so one philosophy or theory that was constantly talked about throughout this entire experience was focus on your experience. They always said, no matter what we say, if you don't experience it, then you don't experience it. It doesn't matter what we say. It Focus on what you are experiencing because at the end of the day, that is the only thing that you actually experience. So this concept itself, I realized, is something that is really lacking in Western education. So... I'll give you an example. So I've been traveling for three months now. And the whole time, I'm like, I don't like this city, new city. I don't like this restaurant, new restaurant. I don't, whatever it is, I don't like. I'm like, let me change something about the external world to fit into my adaptation. But we all have experiences and we know what is going to happen. You don't like that new, that watch you got? All right, I'm going to get a new watch. And then how long does it take until you no longer like that watch? And then, you know, get car and car, house and house, friend and friend, girlfriend and girlfriend, it does, or you know, boyfriend and boyfriend. It doesn't matter. It's just this endless loop of, I like it for a bit. It's cool. Now I'm over it. I'm craving something else. Or now I have this pain. I, I'm feeling aversion towards it. And then it's this endless loop of craving and aversion. And the way we experience that, we're like, all right, let me just keep changing the outside world until I can get to the state where I feel like I'm at bliss. And so we do all types of madness, right? We we say, oh, I'm going to just struggle these 40 years so then I can retire and then travel the world. And then these and then you hear these stories of these people traveling the world and they you know what? I still have the same problems I had when I was working. And, you know, this idea that, okay, I'm going to work really hard this five weeks so I can go do something on the weekend. You do that and then while you're actually doing the thing on the weekend, you're like, Oh, I can't wait for food. And then you eat the food. You're like, oh, I can't wait to sleep. And then it's your, it's either you're always waiting for the next thing or you're always running from something that you're doing right now. Like how often are you actually just experiencing in that moment what it is that you're experiencing? And so a big lesson that came out of me to, for this is a, all of it, all of our experience is in our head. And we don't really pay attention to experience. We learn math, we learn science, we learn about biology. When we talk about, oh, I learn about my body, you learn about the cells, you learn. But what about the experience? So then now we talk about mental health. And, and so we were having that conference at Cortona that I was talking about a few episodes ago. When we were talking about mental health, it was like, oh, we have studied it through this science. And when you experience it, this part of your brain is lighting up, this and that. At the intellectual level, that's great. That's really cool. But as an experiential thing, that means nothing to me. I don't understand why, like, which part of my brain lights up and stuff does not actually express how I 
I feel in those moments and what it actually means. And so one thing I want to say is when we think about, and this is one thing I really want to focus on, when we think about what makes a good teacher or what makes, I think to the same extent, what makes a good psychiatrist or therapist, uh, maybe not psychiatrist, therapist or teacher, we think about, oh, they need to go to a good school. They need to have these degrees. But it's like, is that really what's important in a teacher? Like, did you really need that many degrees to teach fourth grade or fifth grade math? Like, I think there's other things that are so important. Like, are you a, a good teacher? For example, like, are you able to actually empathize with your students? Do they find you relatable? Do they actually enjoy your presence? Do they feel like you yourself have figured out something in life that you are worth listening to? If these things are not there, who cares where you got your degree? You could be a math genius, but you may not be a good teacher, right? And so it's like this idea that everything that we do is somehow like enumerated through analyzing it and studying it, I really think takes away from the focus on the experiencer themselves. There's a saying that Western science focuses on things that are perceived and Eastern science focuses on the perceiver themselves. And I think this is a beautiful saying. And both are extremely important. This is why. If you focus too much on the experiencer themselves, then you can start having people share all types of dogma. They can be like, oh, you know, if you meditate like this, you can reach this level and then you'll be, and they can, you know, provide their philosophy. And there's no real, like, how do I back check that? Because each person's experience is their own. So if you've experienced it, how can I really say you haven't? And then should I listen to you? So then you need some level of science, which we've seen in the past where uh, religions have kind of just been able to manipulate people because there was no real, like, fact check there. I think science comes in and really helps there by drawing some sort of boundaries of like, okay, you can't just push all of these and just, you know, uh, push these dogmas on people. And so there's like this ideal balance of focusing on the things that are perceived and the perceiver themselves, being able to be aware that, okay, maybe we need to focus on increasing access to water and education and a certain level of eradicating poverty. But at the same time, we need to also acknowledge that for a majority of the people in the developed world, I don't even know if that's like the, you're allowed to call it that anymore. I should figure that out. I don't, I don't feel right calling it the developed world because the whole world is developed in different ways. So maybe not. I don't actually like calling it developed world. Let's just say in like whatever, the top 50 countries with the most wealth, that might just be easier. Most people have the basic things that they need for survival. They already have it. It's not like you need people in the States, most people or a large portion of people need that much food. We have so much obesity in that country. It's not like we need more food. So we're suffering from like a more perceptual level of, of the problem is more perceptual. It's more like what is going on in the mind. And so when we talk about mental health as well, which I'm excited to have a few episodes on in the near future, we always talk about, okay, oh, my, this student has, okay, I wanted to share this story. I have had multiple teachers tell my parents, not with some doubt, with certainty that I had ADHD and that I wasn't able to focus at all. And they said, I think he should be on Adderall. And to this day, I'm so happy that that was never done for me because I don't think that that was ever a problem. I think the classes were boring. I thought the teachers were unrelatable and they thought the material was too easy. I don't want to spend my time here, but I'm forced to. And so I'm not going to be paying attention. But the problem was never I wasn't able to sit. I just sat for an hour and a half with no distraction and just focused on my breath. So this like idea that we just have to medicate all these people for every single ailment, as opposed to practicing some of these, right? If we 
bring proper meditation techniques, not to build the ego, but like a genuine practice of meditation into our schools, what are the impacts that that can have on students? It would be unimaginable. And so I think the most common rebuke would be, okay, well, meditation and yoga, for example, comes from these cultures and they have certain elements of religion in it. And I, I think we can completely avoid any of the theoretical stuff. I think where it can possibly, so for example, the way this meditation technique was taught, there were a few things talking about karma and reincarnation that were kind of embedded into the practice. You could miss all of that. You could skip the entire ethics part of these uh, these practices, and you can simply focus on just the, the action itself and what it means. And you can, t- and I think through the person's experience themselves. They will reach some of these understandings of, okay, I'm not going to practice meditation so I can tell people I meditate two hours a day because just through the practice themselves, they can start feeling the benefit and they'll realize, oh, why am I actually doing this? And I think the questions themselves start uh, appearing in the mind and and you can kind of avoid this conflict of like, oh, there's religion involved. And so something I was thinking about is, okay, so we have PE. So this introduction of PE into the school system is a phenomenal thing that we have done in the, in the States. And so at some point we were like, okay, what makes a good citizen of this country someone who is healthy? And that should be extended not only physically, but mentally as well. And so when typically people typically think about that, they're like, oh, we should have a class where students are reading a book about how to be mentally healthy and what are healthy practices. That's just more reading. What about techniques? Like, I think breathing techniques, I I think those things will be taught in those classes, but some breathing techniques and and a meditation practice and like actually having an environment where students are able to sit and do that, you know, sit on the ground, sit on the floor, take their shoes off in, uh, you know, have some of these practices that, that really have such beautiful roots. I, I, I think we miss out on a lot of those things. And so is there a way we can bring meditation into, for example, a health class? So it, that would be a possibility. If you want to avoid, maybe everyone doesn't want to do it. You could have it as an elective where people are like, you're not sleeping. I mean, I would say meditation, you know, I think a common misconception even for my family is, oh, yoga is like you're doing nothing. Yoga is you're like, you know, I mean, sorry, meditation is you're doing nothing. Meditation is you're sleeping or, you know, things like that. I would say it was one of the hardest things I've had to do because you have to be so aware and so active to literally keep your mind on one thing. Your body is painting, like you are on fire and your mind is on one thing. It is a very active thing that you do. And you start to learn, and I've been developing this practice since I've left as well, that by meditating, I'm actually finding more time to do things. I'm able to actually focus on something, get it done, and my day is getting by. So it's not like, oh, I meditate for one hour a day, therefore I've lost an hour of my day. I've actually gained more time because a lot of the times that I was wasting, maybe five minutes here on YouTube, five minutes there, those are decreasing by a lot. And so getting back to curriculum possibilities. So yeah, so we can maybe you know, think about meditation attachments into health classes, into an elective. Yoga, I think, should be incorporated into PE. So instead of having your stretching in the morning that most classes have, have like every other day or every third day or one day a week where you have a 30 or 45 minute session just from a professional yoga instructor to teach. So, you know, I see a lot of uh, my friends now and people who have just began the corporate life and, and have started working full time. And, and many people don't really enjoy their jobs. And so they're either searching for a new job or they're just like, okay, I'm just going to enjoy this job. For, I mean, I'm just going to sit doing this job right now and maybe enjoy my life after. They, they try to like find a way around it. 
But I would say through these practices, we start to realize that when we say we don't like our job, for example, there are certain sensations and things that are going on in our mind that we do not enjoy when we interact with our job or when we interact with people at our job or when we interact the content or failure at job. And it's not the job itself. And so the more and more I think we can realize that a lot of what is going on that we think we like, the pain and this or that is really just happening in the mind. I think we can empower students to understand that, oh, I don't just have to keep changing the outside world to fit my life. I can work on my own mind to build the life that I want. This mindset, however, goes so against this consumer mindset of, oh, you're not happy enough. You know what you need? A nicer couch. You know what you need? a more beautiful partner you know what you need a stronger body a more you know it it goes completely against that and says you know what you need you already have materially what you need you need to now spend time learning and experiencing what's going on inside and so i'm really excited to understand and and speak to more people in this space because I, i feel like the door has just slightly opened to me i feel like i i really experienced things that i did not have any idea was possible and i was just like whoa there are worlds and and universes in there that i have just not even looked at and 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 so to conclude this this discourse what i really want to say is I would highly recommend this opportunity. I think people say not talking for 10 days, you know, how am I going to do that? It is hard at first, but you start to realize silence is very loud in itself. There's so much noise in silence. It's so powerful and beautiful. I mean, it would just like cover me like a blanket and I would just like think and walk through my thoughts as I was walking through the woods and, and, and it just became clear. I had so much clarity about why things happen. Uh, for, for me, for example, I'm not really proud of who I was when I was younger, but it became clear why. What part of those traits still exist in me today? What can I do to move forward, right? And, and so a lot of these things became clear. What does it even mean to be me? You know, and, and so I would highly, it's called a Vipassana meditation. I will attach the link to the show notes. Uh, I think it's a beautiful experience um, that, that people should really enjoy at some point in their life. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening. I have some really exciting conversations that are coming up in the next few weeks. I'll be leaving Europe finally in three days and I will be back in D.C. Um, excited to start school again and it's going to be a great year. Uh, apart from that, thank you for listening. As per usual, stay re-educated.